I think the thing though that people forget is the way AI learns is by testing. And so the AI assumes very little and then tests a bunch of things. And so it's going to make a real a bunch of really bad decisions because it doesn't quite know. And you're going to spend money on those bad decisions. So the benefit of the strategist is to cut out some of those bad decisions that the AI needs to make or the variations the AI needs to make to get to the right output. Hello and welcome to the Optimized Store Owner Show, a podcast that helps frustrated store owners become optimized store owners. We are your hosts, Aaron and Christian. We want to invite you to join us each week as we share tips, tactics, and strategies from the most inspiring entrepreneurs in the e-commerce industry. This podcast will help you add flexibility, stability, and happiness into your life. Ready? Let's go. If you ever want to know the details behind brand awareness campaigns and performance campaigns, or if you wanted to know the resources, benchmarks, and tools to accelerate growth, or know what you can do to navigate a recession, then this episode is for you. In this episode, we have Samir Balwani from Query. Samir runs a successful agency helping e-commerce and direct-to-consumer brands launch, manage, and optimize sustainable and scalable paid media campaigns. Super, super dense episode with a lot of really good information. Don't want to miss this out. Check it out. Samir, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Excited to to chat all things marketing. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Absolutely. So just to kind of get us up to speed with what's going on, uh, who are you and who do you guys serve? And then we'll just dive really deep into some what we can actionably help uh, listeners with on, on the marketing side. Yeah. So I'm Samir Balwani. I'm the founder uh, and, and CEO at Query. We're a media buying agency for high growth e-com businesses. So uh, if you're a lifestyle brand trying to scale your online revenue, uh, do it quickly and profitably, and most importantly, predictably. Uh, that's when you know people will bring us on board to to make sure that we hit all our numbers and and get the brand out there. Awesome. So you said a couple of things there, predictably and profitably. So what? Um, how do you guys determine what quote unquote the the profit is there, or like how do you maintain profit, especially as you start to scale? Because it's usually you lose a little bit of profit as you scale in in most situations. So what do you, how do you guys determine that? What's kind of your process? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, and process is exactly the, the right way to think about it. So the way we work uh, with a lot of our brands is uh, we'll calculate what is their break-even return on ad spend to start. And I think it's a really important number that a lot of brand owners and, and brand marketers don't know because uh, they've got to jump over to the finance side of things and really understand what their net profit margin is and then figure out, you know, what is the minimum return on ad spend that we can do without losing money, right? Uh, and so we'll calculate that with our clients on a last click perspective to just make sure that the media we're spending is conservatively safe. Uh, and then we'll work with them to say, all right, you know, you want to go really fast? Great. We'll hit that break-even ROAS. And, and if you want to dip below it, we can dip below it. You can be unprofitable growth and that's fine. Or some clients will say, hey, you know, we got to maintain a 10%, 20%, or 30% margin, and we'll work with them to figure out what that ROAS target is, and then balance brand awareness spend against their performance spend to that target ROAS. And so it really is this like sliding scale. I want to grow really fast. Great. We're going to cut into profitability. I want to grow really profitable. Great. You're going to cut into how fast you uh, grow. But it's figuring out where that right amount is for your brand that's really valuable. 
Where we so let's let's go down both paths, I guess. There, yeah. if you're trying to increase the profit, what are some things that they can put into place to make sure that they maintain high profitability or continue to go on that trajectory as they grow, maybe just a little bit slower than the the scaling side of things? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the balance really comes between brand awareness and top of funnel ad spend versus performance marketing. So your bottom of funnel. Um, the best way to think about this is. Uh, your top of funnel ad spend is customer doesn't know who you are, your cold audiences, um, how do I get the brand out there? Uh, that's your top of funnel. Those people are not converting on their first click. They may not convert for a long time, but you have to do it to build that audience pool. But those are really low return on ad spend campaigns, more often than not, almost zero in the time period that we're measuring them, right? At least from a last click standpoint. We'll talk attribution separately, but there's a whole world around that. But let's let's keep it simple and just say last click for now. Then there's a lot of bottom of funnel campaigns. Those are uh, customer knows exactly who we are, has looked at our products, is primed to buy. Advertising is really valuable because you want to be in front of those people to finally get them to purchase. That's branded search, <laughs> classic remarketing, um, you know, high high impact campaigns like that. So the Budget balance between those two is what me what we mean by driving high ROAS versus uh, low ROAS overall campaigns, right? Because we'll always try and maximize your bottom of funnel campaigns. Always try and make sure that we have hundred percent conversion or, or coverage on those campaigns because we want to capture as much demand as possible, capture as much revenue as possible from those. It's how much of that profit and that revenue, do we then invest in top of funnel to continue to grow the pool? And so looking at it as almost like two levers, it's like one's always up, but then how much of the second one do you want to put is what determines our overall campaign ROAS. Uh, and that's that's how we want to think about it when we're looking at you know, scaling a media campaign and scaling a, a media program. What kind of, uh, you mentioned branded search there. What other platforms are you guys usually leveraging to get the biggest advantage? Or is there any difference between how you're leveraging platforms, whether it is branded search or social or, you know, what's kind of the your focus of area that you spend the, the time on? And then where where does the percentage of monies get thrown to, like those areas? Yeah. Yeah, so I can tell you, can answer that? Simply, and then I'll tell you about kind of the areas that we're most excited about too. So I think that those two are probably the most interesting. So um, from a, where does the money go? It really depends on the brand, which is the hard part, the hard thing to say. Like uh, braided search is always one that we're going to spend a lot of time and energy on. That's you know Google Ads, Microsoft Bing, uh, especially with the new integration with ChatGPT. We'll kind of see how that plays out and what that means for them. But uh, you know, definitely two channels that we invest heavily on to make sure that we have full coverage there. Uh, we're still excited about Meta. Uh, I think uh, while it is not uh, the same world that it was, you know, pre-iOS 14.5, it's still really good for product discovery. It's still really good for getting in front of new people. Uh, and that's that's like the benefit of Meta. Uh, we're also looking at channel diversity. So things like TikTok and Pinterest and, um, you know, programmatic display and connected TV, those are other areas that we're really excited about. The balance of spend really determines on the return on ad spend that we're getting from each channel and then our capacity to spend there, right? Um, so for a perfect example of that is 
branded search. You can only spend so much on branded search because there's only so many people searching for your brand at a certain and in a certain period of time. So your ability to spend there will get capped versus a channel like Meta, where it's a product discovery and interruptive ad, we can spend as much as we want there. It won't be as effective as branded search from a revenue perspective, but it is really good at getting reach. And so uh, recognizing that you have to uh, break up your ad spends based on the purpose of the campaign, the effective return uh, revenue of it, and then um, what we're trying to solve for, like where in the customer stage the person is. And getting that breakdown is uh, why media agency is really helpful. It's because we can kind of take a look at all of that and put together a real plan around it. Um, there's really no rule of thumb percentages on it, to be very honest. And whenever you guys are, are talking about like the uh, specifically social ads, right? So branded search is not necessarily is, is cr- creative focus, but what are you guys seeing right now? So specifically like Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, advertising, what kind of testing are you doing or how do you guys do testing and, and do you approach like the social advertising side of things uh, right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we work with a lot of lifestyle brands, right? So um, think fashion, apparel, accessories, home goods, you know, that world's beauty skincare. Uh, and that world is really interesting from a creative standpoint because brand positioning, brand values, and brand um, design is really important, right? Um, it's it, Those products are more about how you feel about having those products versus, you know, the nuts and bolts of them. Like, uh, there's only so much you can do with a shirt right at the end of the day and so it comes down to that that brand um connection and so for us creative is really important and uh designing and testing with our partners uh the right messaging and the right look and feel is really valuable so we'll do a lot of brand uh briefing so like creative briefing for our clients so we don't actually create creative we leave that to our brand experts and as but we'll do creative briefing around hey this is the kind of creative that we've seen work in the past this is what we'd like to continue testing can you give us more of this kind of stuff the one watch out that i always tell clients is be really careful of this concept around performance creative and a lot of people are talking about this now and it's it's something that you should be um thoughtful of and be very careful of um performance creative is great it yeah for those of you that don't know performance creative is generally campaign creative that's been tested to drive uh, campaign results quickly. So uh, I feel like performance creative, and, and this is my thought process, not not um, anything specific or, or data tested, but I think a lot of people are really focused on performance creative because they're still trying to figure out how to make meta a, a profitable channel. So a lot of people are coming in and saying, hey, all right, we've got performance creative and it's going to drive revenue and you're going to see awesome results. And what do you end up with? You end up with creative that has a cool starburst on it that says 50% off and that becomes your brand, right? And it does drive revenue. Uh, we all know sale and offers drive revenue, but nobody takes into effect that that's hurting the brand from a long-term perspective. And so uh, you you make it really difficult to grow profitably when you're going out to new customers and your first offer is a 50% off or 30% off or 20% off sale versus creating a brand connection with people. So we would sell 
uh, clients, we always tell uh, partners, be really careful around how you present your brand and don't forget to capture the fact that there is brand value in the work that you do and you're building an audience pool around that. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff that we're looking for for in creative is um, what make, what gives you an emotional drive for brand awareness campaigns? What give, gives that brand connection? And then don't get me wrong, there's definitely a spot for that 50% off or 10% welcome offer. Uh, it's usually after someone has looked at a product, engaged with the product, uh, maybe even add something to cart, give them the offer to push them over the edge, but, uh, don't go out of the uh, gate with it. it. It isn't always a great feel, uh, and it kind of positions you in a really weird way. You think that is because they have, I guess, bought into the fact that Facebook is, or, you know, meta at this point, it just, uh, is a place where people go to just make money and so that's their perception and then they're not doing it so then they lower the cost or lower the price or whatever else and that's the i'm just trying to understand like from your perspective is that like the psychology of what people do whenever they bring that something to you to like our ads need to be this because we've seen on the internet that our return on ad spend must be this amount and we must be profitable here is that because of like pressure or i'm just yeah any idea yeah. Or any insight to that maybe yeah, and so we see it from two perspectives. So um, the first t the first reason why we see that is uh, a lot of uh, people will look at Meta pre iOS fourteen five and see all of those um, case studies and articles on how you could have a six x return on ad spend from driving advertising on Facebook. And uh, there's definitely some there were some opportunities on that, but it was an arbitrage play at the time. And now um, now that iOS 14.5 and the privacy uh, policies have kind of put in place, you know, and uh, I think that people, people forget that we're also more focused on measurement and what it means to measure our paid media programs uh, and, and less looking at in-platform measurement and actually looking at tools like, you know, last click from Google Analytics or multi-touch attribution from Triple Whale, North Beam, Rockerbox, the likes. Uh, now that we're more sophisticated on that perspective, also, people are starting to realize, oh, wait, Facebook doesn't actually drive profit in, like, short-term profit, um, but it is really good at introducing the brand to new people and, and getting a really good... Uh, you know, brand connection with the right person. And so we get that piece a lot where people are kind of nostalgic for the old old numbers that they were maybe were seeing previously. And so they push for this performance creative. The second area where we see a push for performance creative is when uh, uh, marketers are looking at channels independently of one another versus as a whole paid media campaign. If you're going to compare... Facebook campaign results against Google campaign results, you're going to end up over-investing in Google um, and kind of capping your ability to scale because, uh, you know, Facebook ads will never be as profitable as branded search from Google or even like non-brand search from Google because it's different customer stages, right? Uh, branded search, I'm all the way at the bottom of the funnel. I already know who you are. I'm going to be, I'm going to purchase right away, right? non-brand search, I'm still in market. I'm actively researching your product, right? Uh, so there's a there's a good chance I'm going to purchase in the short term. So those ROASs are just going to be higher. The problem is, is that Facebook is really good at 
at that consideration phase. So I I might be in market because it still has some signals around you know what people are looking for and what they might be purchasing. So it it can try and get some intent, but it's also really good at building intent. So making you feel like you're missing out, making you be introduced to a brand you never knew, introduced to a product you didn't think existed or even realize you needed. But they're two very different stages in the funnel and two very different returns that you can expect from them. Hey, so owners, are you ready to grow and scale your online business predictably and profitably? We've created a free 15-minute training that will walk you through the five key areas every online store needs to achieve financial success. You can grab the free training by going to optimizestoreownercom forward slash ecom dash training or clicking the link below in the podcast description. Again, that is optimizedstoreownercom forward slash ecom dash training. Definitely makes sense. And what do you, I guess, uh, to kind of go a little bit deeper onto that, as far as your guys' explanation, how do you explain that to a client, right? And I, I know you guys don't necessarily, or maybe you do, um, but a lot of the brands you're working with are, are spending a decent amount of money. So they're, you know, it's not just one business individual you have to talk to to kind of get them over the hump of this psychological conversation, especially if they have more people internally. So what's kind of your philosophy or like the the approach that you guys have um, because I think it will be helpful for people who are listening to, to kind of get into the right mindset of like, this is why, you know, this is why it's a little bit different than what you've seen on the internet. Again, more of like the, the YouTube videos that are just touting or, or whatever it may be case studies that are, you know, the, the, the hundred X returns. So how do you guys have those kind of conversations where it's like, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And this is why it's beneficial to your brand, um, especially building that trust in the very beginning when they just don't know you from another company yet or anything internal. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the easiest questions you can ask is you got a hundred X return on ad spend, but how much did your revenue grow? And usually people will say, yeah, we grew 5% or 10%. And it's like, that's great. But if you got a hundred X return on ad spend, you could have grown 40% or 50% or 60% if you just introduced the brand to new customers. As long as you are, uh, and I always caveat this by saying like, if you think you've got a good brand and a good product, like invest in it, like get people to know who it is. If you're not investing in it, then you maybe, you know, you got to question yourself on, are you really as confident in your brand and product as you think you are? So uh, that's what we always tell people. It's like, you know, reinvest the profits in in a strategic way uh, to continue to scale the brand. So we do a lot of education uh, around how uh, to look at things. The, the most important thing that we do is uh, we create a model for every one of our, um, every client that we come across, every, uh, every time we do a discovery call, here's where you're at today. Here's where you could have been. Uh, and it's, it's pretty simple, actually. So we tell people 10 to 20% of e-com revenue should be invested in advertising, generally around that world. Um, that's that's when we see pretty high growth uh, and people are seeing some good results from that. Should also see 3 to 40% of your revenue uh, in Google Analytics coming from a paid media channel. So that's a last click. So you say, great, I invested 10% of my online revenue and got you know 30% of uh, my top line revenue from paid media, 3x last click return, that's pretty strong, right? So uh, it's really just thinking about it in broad numbers like that, and then setting aside an expectation that that's what we wanna see, and and then messing with the numbers to 
uh, figure out what the growth rate you want and, and go from there. I tell brand marketers, especially as we come into uh, this era of potential recession and slowdown of uh, don't be a pendulum. Don't swing from profitability to revenue and go all the way across. Your job is to set yourself in the middle. It's how do you drive revenue while still maintaining profitability? Um, and, and don't lose sight of that because it's really easy to um, slow growth while trying to maintain profitability and uh, hurting yourself in the long run because you just gave your competitors a window to steal customers you couldn't have had. Um, and, and so you gotta be really careful about that, especially in a time period like now. You mentioned the, uh, different platforms, right? Triple Will and Northbeam. Um, do you guys use all of them? Um, have you had any experience with any of them? Uh, which one do you prefer? Um, is yeah. there a difference? <laughs> yeah, it's actually, so there, there is a big difference on each of them. We actually just, uh, wrote a whole guide around choosing the right multi-touch attribution um, tool for you. Um, we recommend all three. Uh, we like all three. Uh, the difference is it depends on what you're trying to solve for. Um, so we like triple whale if it's a brand marketer and they want to have access to it and they really want to understand almost their operating system for e-com. That's what the, that's what triple whale positions itself as. It's a one-stop shop for seeing all your data in one place. And it's actually really good at that. The one uh, shortcoming it has is uh, if you are in a lot of channels, especially difficult to measure channels, think direct mail, out of home, influencers, sponsorships, things like that, Triple Will just can't get that data well. And that's when we generally will uh, upgrade a client into a Northbeam or Rockerbox. Uh, and then Northbeam versus Rockerbox really comes down to what channels are you activating and what do you need to do with that data? Uh, if you need to export it out into your own data warehouse, well, Rockerbox has really good integrations. If you really want to look at it from a media perspective, Northbeam's really good at it. So we'll generally work with a client to figure out what the best tool for them is, uh, given there's a few things. So like what channels, what's the expected growth rate? And then most importantly, who needs the data, right? So is this for an executive team that needs to have it really simple? Or is this for a really sophisticated you know, media team that's you know, really understands what's going to come out of it. Uh, and it's, it's really understanding what, what the goal is for the tool and then getting the right one. But they're all very good. And they're starting to become more and more uh, important as part of a full uh, measurement stack, especially as we try and have more focus around the true value of advertising and, and what paid media is really pushing to the table. Definitely. Yeah, I was gonna say we uh, we've only really experienced a lot of stuff with Triple Will with with the people that we've uh, worked with. But I'm yeah, I've heard a ton about Northbeam, and uh, not heard about the third one. But that's that's good. And we'll definitely that article is on your on your website, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll share that with you so you can include it in the show notes for okay. sure. Definitely. Um, so speaking of uh, attribution and, and software and everything, I mean, one of the big topics right now is, is obviously AI. Um, it's moved very quickly um so i'm just curious right now because uh you know are you guys using it in your agency what's your personal perspective on it like you know what's the kind of the the thought process the process with it because it's i mean we've had ai people have had ai for a very long time it's been around for a very long time but it wasn't really until 
you know, ChatGPT that kind of changed the game with what's available with OpenAI. So I'm just curious, yeah, your thoughts on AI, how you guys are using it if you are, and maybe some predictions of how it would look like in in the future. Yeah, it's really interesting. So um, I personally am so uh, enamored by it. Like, I think it's the coolest thing. And it's just so much fun to play around with. Uh, my team will remind me on the media side, we've had AI for quite a long time. Um, so, you know, Google launched Performance Max. That's an AI-driven tool. Facebook launched Advantage Plus. So that's an AI-driven tool. Um, so, you know, we've we've been playing around with it for quite a while, just in not the same way that you can with ChatGPT, which I think is the interesting thing of it. It's, you know, very, I put an input in, I get an input and output right back, and it feels very one-to-one versus, you know, Performance Max is you set up a campaign, the AI tool finds us the best customer and we see good results. Um, so on the media side, we're pretty used to it. We embrace it. It works extremely well. Uh, we went through that whole phase of AI is going to kill media buying. You're never going to need a media buyer ever again. It's, it's kind of nice to see the creatives have to sweat a little bit. I'm here, uh, chat GPT is going to kill copywriting. We're never going to need copywriters ever again. Uh, and then people use the tool and realize, oh, no, you're still getting a copywriter because, uh, you know, chat GPT copy is, well, great, is uh, is not unique and uh, is only as good as the inputs that you give it. And that's exactly what we see on the media side, too. Uh, you know, Performance Max and Advantage Plus is only as good as the data you give it and the creative you give it and the strategy behind it. Um, you know, so from our perspective, AI is still really is valuable. It means that we don't have to make constant bid adjustments on a day-to-day basis and and waste uh, a senior strategist time on that. And instead, they can spend more time around saying, hey, this data is actually really valuable or this data should be excluded. Don't take this as an input. Um, and, and the overall system gets better. So uh, I think it's going to change how we do advertising. I, I do, for sure. Uh, but I like it because I think it's going to allow us to be more strategic in the work that we do versus um, kind of, you know, hitting f- switches and moving knobs. That's that's not the real value in it. Uh, the best way, so the way I um, kind of tell people about the value of AI and the difference between having a specialist on one end and not is um, it's kind of like baking a cake. The oven is the AI. But the ingredients that go in and how it's put into the oven matters a lot. A master chef and an amateur chef use the same oven, but have very different outputs. And so it's the same situation with AI. Uh, A real media strategist putting in the right things into the AI will get a much better result for you than someone that's just doing it for their first time or really doesn't understand how the system works. Um, And I think that that's where the value is for agencies. Uh, and that's why I think agencies that embrace the AI tools and become experts at it as quickly as possible will win above a- agencies that still stick to the, we're going to manage keywords, we're going to manage CPCs, we're going to choose the audiences. You know, I think that uh, it's almost a little bit of hubris to think that you're going to be better than the computer that can uh, really collect a lot more data and understand it a lot faster than you can. Yeah. And I, I guess my question too is like, we can't ever predict the future, but I wonder at what point that like to your analogy of the cake baking is that the AI can, can not only put the ingredients together, but also bake it as well. Right. That's the part that I'm like, 
thinking even farther ahead, it's like, okay, right? So right now it's a yeah. it's an input by humans, but at what point, right? Is AI just learns from itself and it just goes faster. It's, it's the unknown, which is um, kind of the exciting, kind of the scary, kind of the, the different part of things where it's like, right now, I, I agree with you completely. Like it's, you, I don't think you get rid of, a copywriter or a senior person because their knowledge is invaluable to make sure that the AI works. But at some point, right, you know, maybe a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, whatever, is the AI better at doing the job because it has the data points um, than what we do. So um, that's that's the part that I'm curious about. Yeah, it might. Um, and that, that'd be a really interesting world to live in for sure. I think the thing, though, that people forget is the way AI learns is by testing. And so the AI assumes very little and then tests a bunch of things. And so it's going to make a real, a bunch of really bad decisions because it doesn't quite know. And you're going to spend money on those bad decisions. Mm. So the benefit of the strategist is to cut out some of those bad decisions that the AI needs to make or the variations the AI needs to make to get to the right output. So to go back to our uh, baking uh, example is the AI might say, hey, I got to throw beef into this blueberry pie. Who knows? Maybe somebody will like it. <laughs> but like you as a person know, no one's going to, that, that is a bad idea, right? And so your job as a strategist is to get rid of all of those outliers so you don't waste money on testing bad ideas. Um, you know, I think over time, those bad ideas will become less and less and the system will get better and better. But then the flip side of it is the innovation on the other end um, is something that AI won't always be good at. So coming up with a new idea or the uh, you know outside uh, connecting you know something absolutely wild with this, that I think there's going to always be a human element to it. Um, and while the AI might be able to do it, I think humans may make it faster in certain instances. Mm. Uh, I think that that's where the benefit of a strategist or someone that's just dedicated to thinking about these things is really important. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you put a, you put a good point on that last part there, which is like the, the person who does adapt or the person who does think about this differently versus an older way, um, is, is going to have an advantage absolutely over, or for somebody else. Um, so other than, you know, maybe that's a little farther into the future, the AI side of things, uh, what do you feel right, right happening right now? We're kind of in a weird, like, I feel like it's micro pockets kind of, you mentioned it earlier, like we're in micro pockets of like, we live in North Texas and in this area, it doesn't seem like there's much of a recession here because of what's going on. And it may be the same thing for, for you guys over on the East coast or whatever, but like certain pockets of areas are people are are spending less money or they they're cutting back on things. And so what are, what are some things that you guys are, are thinking about or strategizing about to continue to grow businesses, even when there is less spending in the economy or perceived less spending, right? We, I, I mean, at this point, I'm so confused on whether or not we're having a recession or not, because <laughs> it's just so back and forth, but like, let's assume that we are going to hit one at some point, right? It's going to happen eventually. What do, you, what do you what do you guys plan to do or strategize to to make sure that businesses can still grow during those time periods? Yeah, it's really interesting because I feel like um, I'm in the same boat as you guys around. Like, I, I know that it's hitting. It is micro pockets. Um, 
there we're definitely going through this idea of a k recovery where like certain groups are not are actually like excelling and feeling good and then there are certain groups that are getting decimated by the, the economic downturn and and you know food prices going up and gas prices going up and all that like it's gonna hit different people in different ways right um what we tell a lot of our clients is and and again this is the perspective of a, a marketer that specifically focuses in on lifestyle brands so you know, our products are not necessities. You're not going to give up something to buy these. These are, you know, nice to haves, not need to haves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I tell clients is um, recessions or downturns, two things happen. One, people will spend on small things to make them feel better because getting bad news all around, it's going to be the little things that kind of cheer you up. So how do you have small products that are high margin that you can ship out that can still people keep in touch with your low cost, but can, so people can still feel connected to the brand and just kind of give themselves a easy present, right? So that's one. The second piece of it is um, everyone is rethinking their budgets. Everyone is rethinking, and, and I say budgets as like my personal household budgets, not only the people thinking about business budgets, but personal household budgets. Like, what are we spending on? Where are we going on vacation? What are we doing? How are we doing all that kinds of stuff? Uh, people are thinking about that, but doesn't mean they're not going to spend. Mm. They're just going to spend in a different place. And so the same way some of your customers must, might say, hey, you know what? That is, I, I can't afford that this year, I'm going to go shop at this brand. There is another brand for someone to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to shop here. I'm going to go shop somewhere else. And so pulling yourself out of the market and not being present means that you're going to lose a lot of these brand switches that are going to happen because you know people are going to look for a deal. People are going to look for um, a product, but just at a different price point. And so the same way you are not the most expensive, but you're not the cheapest, people are going to shift through that spectrum for sure. Definitely. I think that is a really good place to kind of leave off, but I want to make sure that we can uh, connect with you guys. So what's the best play for somebody who says, hey, look, I have a brand like this. I want to scale. I want to grow. I want to increase profitability. And I want to, you know, predictably know what's going to happen, especially as we have uncertain times. What's the best place for people to kind of reach out to you, find out more and, and connect? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. So Samir Balwani, connect with me. I connect with everyone. You can send me a message. I'll definitely chat with you there. Um, alternatively, you can go to our website. So the career website is wearequry.com. Uh, if you go there, you'll find, um, you can then book a strategy call. Uh, one of our pay me a strategists will happy to walk you through what we see in your accounts and opportunities. We do full assessments for you if, uh, if we feel like we can actually help. Um, also, take a look at our uh, resources and guides. There's a lot of information that we publish around this stuff, uh, including data benchmarks. So everything from uh, industry-wide CPMs, click-through rates, uh, you know, conversion rates, so you can compare and contrast where you're at compared to um, what you could be doing. Uh, I think those are really valuable to just see what market trends are going on, especially with how much uncertainty is in the market right now. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, I love your guys' benchmarks. Um and uh, that page on the site. So we'll definitely link that up there. I think that's something unique uh, that I have not seen another agency offer. So extremely valuable there. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Samir. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. This was great. Thanks, guys. 
that's a wrap. Before you go, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram stories at BitBraining and let us know what you thought about this episode. And next, make sure to leave us an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us reach more people and continue to improve the podcast for you. All right, guys, have a great day and we'll talk to you next week.